Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Each new era of Batman heralds a new costume and new colors. So, Jason, when you think of the Bronze Age of Batman, what visual elements do you think of? Okay, so the Bronze Age, we're talking about the 70s, early 80s. I'm thinking, you know, this to me is the classic swashbuckler Batman era. It's (laughs) sky blue, Mm -hmm. light gray. Mm -hmm. Three scallops, mm-hmm. the little utility belt with the little capsules on it. You know, yes, you know those capsules. You know what I'm talking about? All full of poison. Or, or, or like somehow they open up and, and a parachute comes out. I don't know how mm-hmm. he does that. You know, they're always bigger on the inside, like and, the TARDIS. Yeah, <laughs> and then the classic yellow oval Batman. Like this is, I think, I, I just call, I call him Swashbuckler Batman. Like I feel like this Batman is gonna pull a, a scimitar out of his utility belt and and just fight Ra's al Ghul in a mountain every Sunday. Well, because you brought up the yellow oval, which is one of my favorites, I don't know if we can do any better than that. So I think it is time for the geek history lesson on Batman the Bronze Age to be in session. Awesome, hello everybody and welcome to Geek History Lesson. I am Jason Tiny Capsules Inman. I am Ashley Victoria Robinson. Welcome to your Mind University because you have assembled onto the podcast where we take one character construct or Batman from pop culture and teach you everything you need to know about it in about an hour. And today is the third installment in our years long Batman series. Yes, we're tackling the Bronze Age today. Yes, we're talking about the Bronze Age. Uh, Real quick, Ashley, was this suggested by any of our listeners? It sure was not. Oh, dang. You know what also was not suggested by any of our listeners in, in, in 2023? Our, my middle name. Uh, that was <laughs> an original. Yet. So, uh, we, you know, we do a thing, my middle name. I forget it every single episode. And if you want to suggest a middle name for myself to say on the air, I'll give you a shout out. Email us at geekhistorylesson at gmail.com using the subject line middle name. Uh, so, Ashley, okay, let's explain, just in case somebody's listening to this, um, we should explain what the ages are. Like when you say the Bronze Age, what the heck are you talking about? Okay, so the Bronze Age, what kind of kicks this off, the precipitating event is Jack Kirby leaving Marvel and Gwen Stacy dying in Spider-Man 121. I know that you're saying that that's a Marvel thing and this is a DC Comics thing, but this is sort of in the overall historical landscape of comics. That is when the Bronze Age starts. So it's from roughly 1970 into 1985. I will say for Batman specifically, the Bronze Age is generally considered to be from 1969 to 1986. I will tell you which issues and storylines happen in both of those years in Batman specifically that people think that. So with Batman, it's a little Batman kind of uh, has an evolution really quick at the beginning of the Bronze Age and then kicks off. The Dark Age. We should also talk, say that none of these are super official. No. There is no right year, no wrong year. In fact, we consult, every time we do one of these, we always consult to see, is there a new list? Has somebody put yeah. out the definitive list? And in fact, doing research uh, for uh, mine that's going to come up very soon, 
I found out that the ages have changed since the last time we did this. They sure have. <laughs> so this is where we're coming from we have today. Made, we have made our decisions of what we think they are. Exactly. Yeah. If you disagree with us, that's fine. So this is where we're talking about. Also, if you haven't listened to the two previous episodes in this series, episode 107 is Batman the Golden Age, and episode 383 is Batman the Silver Age, which make great companion pieces Big to this. gap between those two. Uh, yes. <laughs> well, you know, we noticed that when we did the Silver Ages. We're like, it's been a minute. It's been a while. Um, but they make great companion pieces either before or after this episode if you want some additional listening. 107 and 383. All right, so roughly 1970 to 1985, the adventures of Batman, because Batman's too big of a character to contain to one episode. He needs multiple episodes because he's Batman. Uh, and we're roughly saying that the end, the reason why we're not going past 85 is because we're not going to pass past seminal comic books like Crisis on Infinite Earths, The Dark Knight Returns, and Watchmen. Exactly, which yep. are all generally considered to Have end the bronze Batman. Age yep. slash launched the Dark Age, and Batman is one of the characters obviously swirling in the vortex of that. All right, great. All right, let's do a really quick 10 cent origin. Jason, what's that? Uh, that is where Ashley is going to give you all the who's its and what's as a brief cliff note version of who Batman is. And if, my God, at this point, if you don't know who Batman is, um, have you, have you, have you been living under a rock? Don't say that. I have your back if you don't know who Batman is. Oh, okay. Batman is, we don't gatekeep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Go back and listen to the other two episodes. And, yeah, then we, yeah. and, and then and then you won't have to listen to this Tencent origin. Is a DC Comics character whose first appearance was in Detective Comics number 27 from May of 1939. Created by Bill Finger and Bob Kane. He is also known as Bruce Wayne, Matches Malone, Lefty Knox, and Minuteman. And his team affiliations include the Batman family, the Justice League, the Outsiders, Batman of All Nations and Batman Incorporated, and his abilities include being a genius-level intellect, peak human physical and mental conditioning, a master of martial arts and hand-to-hand -hand combat, the world's greatest detective, high-tech equipment, and weaponry. And now that we've done that, I want to hand this over to another genius-level intellect, my co-host Jason Inman, where he can tell you about his upcoming superhero story. Oh, interesting. Uh, well, everybody, you might not know this, but, you know, uh, Ashley and I write comic books on the side. And I am finishing off my newest comic book miniseries, Super Best Friend. Issue 3 is returning to Kickstarter on January 24th for its third and final issue. This is the big O series finale. And if you're unfamiliar with Super Best Friend, here's the scoop. It's about Maddie Moore. He's called the super best friend. He loves recording videos and podcasts about superheroes. But unfortunately, one of his live streams has wrecked the life of his best friend, the superhero, Captain Terrific. Captain Terrific is very much a Superman analog. And Maddie's live stream has revealed his secret identity to the entire world. So now Maddie has to repair his best friend's secret identity and repair his friendship it's very much a story about superhero fandom about friendship and captain terrific is a character that i designed in high school so it's quite amazing that now he lives and breathes in a three issue miniseries all three issues are available on the campaign that's going to run for 30 days including we have some special awesome stuff i have a variant cover by green arrow artist gotham city year one artist tying into batman Phil Hester. Phil is an what? artist. Yeah, Phil is an artist that I've admired since his run on Swamp Thing. And, you know, this campaign is all about fun and amazing stuff. So that's why I wanted to reach out to Phil and say, hey, draw this comic book cover. It's it's awesome. And 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 also he um I bought the original art off him too. So I have the original art piece too. So it's awesome. So I have a I have a Phil Hester cover that is 
about my original characters. It's fantastic. It's amazing. And you can get that cover. You can also, there's a tier where you can get yourself drawn into a comic book where you talk to Maddie more. You can get a Zoom call with me where you can just chit chat or get some advice. So go check out the finale of Super Best Friend at superbestfriendcomic.com. There will also be a link underneath this podcast wherever you listen to it. Go over there right now. Uh, sign up to be notified when the campaign goes live on January 24th because there is a day one reward that you can only get if you back in the first 24 hours. So make sure you go over there and sign up. Superbestfriendcomic.com. Uh, thank you. I, all the listeners that come over there and support the comic book, I just want to say thank you because I love uh, recognizing your names and seeing your names in the Kickstarters each and every time. And I just want to say Thank you for uh, letting me make my comic book dreams come true. Yay! All right, let's drop into Batman, the Bronze Age. I do want to tease people with this and say you should definitely stick around for the discussion portion of the podcast because we are going to be joined by another legendary comic book podcaster and a good friend of the pod, Word Balloon's own John Suntress. John Suntress. He's the biggest fan of Batman, the Bronze Age that we know, so there's like no way we could uh-huh. humanely do this without and, involving John. And Word Balloon is a fantastic podcast. Yes, it is that we've both appeared on. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't listened, go at least listen to those episodes. But in the meantime, we're talking about Batman. Okay, so Batman's history, it's long, it's ongoing. He has some of the most stories ever written about a single character in comic books, which is why we are choosing to just focus on the Bronze Age version of Batman. I I have. I can't wait to hear about Batman's disco era. The best. Uh, I have. That was the Silver Age. (laughs) Well, no, 1970. We're in 1970. Uh, Yeah, but like silly disco Batman is very much like the the Silver Age. Oh, it it carried on into the 80s. This is is disco wing era. Well, not quite, but yes. Uh, yes. Butting butting right up against it. Disco wing will appear during this time period. Um, But I have chosen some stories to highlight here that I think are seminal to this era and show the evolution Mm -hmm. of this character. All right. So let's set the stage here real quick. Yes. Jack Kirby leaves Marvel. Gwen Stacy (laughs) dies off the side of a bridge. And Batman's reaction to that is? Hire a bunch of talented young writers to shake things up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so he perceived that outside man of- Bruce Wayne hires Len Wein, Steve Englehart, Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams, Dick Shordano, Walt Simonson, Marshall Rogers, brings them into Wayne Manor. And he's like, guys, I need you to fix my image. Hot damn. You know what? <laughs> I didn't realize that Batman was that much of a genius, but hiring working Len- on a meta narrative level. <laughs> he had, you know what? Bat God is true. They say that the term of Batman's yeah, yeah, God, yeah. that if he, he could plan, he planned to stop his own cancellation. I love this. He did. Yeah. <laughs> like Batman's ever been in danger being canceled. I need Ledween. <laughs> I mean, don't don't we all? And Steve Englehart. Don't we all need Ledween? Well, I believe uh, I'm, I'm very excited to talk about Steve Englehart because um, a year or two we back, we did the uh, top five best Batman writers yep. and Steve Englehart made it into my top five. That was 2020. Yep. That was, was, uh, uh, Steve Englehart's is, is such an underrated run of Batman that everybody has forgotten about. They've recently recollected them. So I'm very excited to talk about his run. Okay. Just because you evoked Steve Englehart. Um, one of my, I don't make resolutions, but something I wanted to do this year was I wanted to read more seminal comic book runs that have been on my radar and I haven't for one reason or another. And with this episode, I was able to read a lot of bronze age and these comics are so good. Mm -hmm. Uh, and they feel modern in a way that silver and golden age comics don't, even though there's a lot more thought bubbles and the style is different. They feel like this feels like the Batman that I think of when I think of the comic books that I read. Well, I always say this, that when you're watching the Bruce Tim verse, uh, the Alan Burnett verse, the Paul Dini verse. I remember the you saying this. Batman, the animated series mm-hmm. verse. They that tone is this era. 
100%, the Andrea Romanoverse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, the Andrea Romanoverse, yeah. <laughs> so what's interesting about the Bronze Age in particular is there are two different types of Batmans who coexist during this period. Mm-hmm. There is the lighter, sillier, Silver Age-esque Batman who's kept alive in the pages of The Brave and the Bold, which they also have several Omnibi of. They're excellent. Great series. Um, It directly influences and then takes influence from the Super Friends cartoon. Uh And it goes on, of course, to directly influence um, the Brave and the Bold cartoon show of sort of our more modern era. And then contrasted with that is the darker, evolving Batman who introduces key characters and concepts that we still preserve and love in Batman comics to this very day. He gets one of his best love interests during this era. So can can I make a guess? You can. Silver St. Cloud? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I just, love- I finished that story, Strange Apparitions, last night. She is like a Bond girl in it. She's yeah. great. Silver St. Cloud, I've said this for years, is is one of his best love interests. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, she's introduced during this era. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to start in kind of the Silver Age stuff, because Jason, we're coming out of mm-hmm. our Batman Silver Age episode uh, almost 100 episodes ago. Uh, in the Silver Age, Batman really ups his gadget game. I'm not saying that this is a direct reaction to Rogers Moore, James Bond, but you and I have been watching a lot of Roger Moore, James Bond recently. So, well, uh, technically at this point, if we're in 1970, Roger Moore, James Bond has not appeared yet. Oh, wild. This yep. feels so James Bondy to me. But you have to realize that even though Roger Moore getting into James Bond, hashtag James Bond talk. Mm-hmm. Um, hashtag, do you want a Roger Moore episode? Question mark. We probably know on Twitter. We're probably going to do it this year. At GHL podcast. Um, <laughs> so enough people have requested it. We're probably going to do it this year. <laughs> and yes, Bond, uh, excuse me, Batman became very Bond. Sean Connery during his last couple of uh, You Only Live Twice and Thunderball had a lot. I mean, you got to realize Thunderball is the Sean Connery movie where he has a jetpack. Yeah. He, Bond has a jetpack. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's lay that at the feet of Sean Connery. Okay, so this is Sean Connery's fault. Yep. I want to ask you, what do you think is Batman's main mode of transportation, specifically in The Brave and the Bold? So know that it's uh, it's not, it's a, something sillier than the Batmobile. Is it a bat hovercraft? You are so close. Is it a bat boat of some type? Um, it's called the Whirly Bat. Do you know, I what, know the what the Whirly, whirly Bat okay, is? I had photographic yeah. proof in case you didn't know what <laughs> the Whirly should, Bat you is. You should describe this to the listeners. The Whirly Bat is, you know, um, when Leonardo da Vinci was trying to fly yep. and he made that chair with uh, helicopter wings on the top of it that you kind of bike? Yes. That's the Whirly Bat. It's actually a Silver Age invention. This is left over from the Silver Age. Um, but it does appear in every single issue that I read in the first uh, Brave and the Bold omnibus. And I just wanted to bring it up because I think it is so silly. It's not it's not powered by a bicycle. There is a motor in it, but mm-hmm. like it's not a helicopter. It does look He's like not a James Bond. It does look like a James Bond helicopter. It's so silly. Um, but fun fact, Robin even has his own version of it. Is it, it also called the Whirly Bat or the Whirly Bird? It's the Whirly Bird. Yeah. And it, <laughs> excuse me, Robin um, and the Whirly Bird don't appear as much in the Brave and the Bold. Brave and the Bold is much more about Batman teaming up with other characters in the larger DC Comics universe, but this weird, the Whirly Bat was in all the issues, and I was like, what? Yeah. What? (laughs) And it's so contrasting to the Batmobile during this period is literally just a car, because for most of this era, Batman is not living in Wayne Manor. Batman is living in Wayne Tower with a secondary Batcave in the basement, so he's just driving a sports car. Yeah, because during this era, again, this is the reason why we brought up the Bond stuff, Jane, uh, excuse me, 
James, James ba- Bond. James Batman. <laughs> James Batman. James Batman takes a lot of inspiration from James Bond. Yes, yeah. This is this is the era where Batman becomes a globe trotting adventurer. He sure do. He sure do. And it's my favorite era of Batman. I'm just, I'm going to say it. <laughs> Except for the 90s, I'm going to say this is my favorite era of Batman. So, a cl- well, because this directly affects the 90s, inspires the 90s. Well, again, like. I, this leads into what I consider to be modern Batman. I don't know if this is going to ruin any of your future discussion points, it. but like, Globetrotting Adventure is my Batman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is the Batman I want to read. Mm-hmm. That's you know? why you love Batman Inc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I, I like that more than, because when he's, like, I also, I either want hard boiled detective Batman or I want globetrotting adventurer Batman. Those are the two Batmans I want. I understand that. And those are in op- direct opposition yep. to each and other. I, I, I'm not a big fan of sourpuss crying in an alley Batman. You don't love punching Dick Grayson Batman? No. <laughs> <laughs> so I would love to give you a classic example of a Brave and the Bold story. Please. So one of the ones that I read includes Batman teaming up with Plastic Man. Uh, great. Jason loves Plastic Eel Man. Eel O'Brien. Uh, t- for three issues to take down a one-off villain called the Molder, who's trying to usher in the Plastic Age. Is he? Uh, is this Fox Molder from the X Files? Uh, I don't even know if it's spelled the same. <laughs> okay. Um, or is it M O L D E R? M O L D E R. Oh, okay. So Fox Molder is M U. No, because he's it's plastic. So it's I understand. A, I know. A like all the '90s kids loved my joke. <laughs> Did they? Did, well, Todd McFarlane loves this joke. <laughs> trust, trust no one. I will believe. <laughs> so Plaz winds up saving the day in the end. It's mostly for two issues. It's Batman chasing after the molder and the molder like covering him in plastic. <laughs> and then he eventually covers him in plastic inside a subway tunnel. You will stay fresh, Batman. And as the subway is like hurtling towards Batman... The Gothamites are like, wow, what a wild advertisement that is in the middle of the subway tunnel. And then Plastic Man's like giant hand reaches out and like stops the train from hitting Batman. So it's it's that's kind of what we're doing in the end. Plaz winds up saving the day by realigning his molecules. So his molecules get knocked out of control by mm-hmm. the molder. So he's like expanding rapidly and bleeding plastic all over Gotham City and Batman. Mm-hmm. So then he enters a scientist lab, drinks a mysterious unlabeled concoction. Like you do. Realigns his molecules, takes control back of all the plastic in Gotham because most of it is his body and keeps it from drowning Batman and keeps uh, the molder from taking over Gotham City. That takes three issues, Mm. 26 pages, an issue to tell. Most of the adventures take place over two or three issues. They're usually set in Gotham City. They feature villains you will never see again, although occasionally like one of the more popular rogues gallery villains will appear here or there in a one-off or maybe also having a Brave and the Bold style adventure um, with another character. In, In many ways, I have found that the Brave and the Bold, like I alluded to earlier, is both the precursor to and then deeply inspired by the Super Friends cartoon, which also starts airing, I think, in 1971. Um, I couldn't tell you. Right around this. Somewhere in the 70s. Right around this same era. What I love about it is this is also, in a lot of ways, a precursor to the Batman family because we get to see Batman working with a lot of other characters and they are actually able to highlight like the plastic man story highlights what's really neat and interesting about plastic man. Who's not a character that I really care for. Oh, I love plastic man. I know you do. I, love- I know you do. <laughs> Page DC comics right now. I don't have the humor abilities for it, but I would love to like revamp, not revamp, but like sort of modernize plastic man and make him cool again because plastic man is always a part of my justice league. 
Do you have him with the little shoestring in his costume? The shoestring in his costume? Yeah, like over his like no, deep feet no, in no. his chest. But you have to keep the glasses. I'll give you the glass. You I just think the costume the is so silly. Well, the problem is because he doesn't have pants. Uh, this one had pants. He had a full body suit. He should have a full body suit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Should, He should just have some version of a red and yellow bodysuit. But I will also say that I think that this, the popularity of the Brave and the Bold, because the Brave and the Bold ran for decades and decades and decades. It's amazing. It's um, really good. But I will say, I think the Brave and the Bold might be the reason why in modern Batman comics, we have 57 members of the Bat family. Yeah, maybe so. Because we kind of like, we like Batman as a dad and we like him as a mentor. Mm-hmm. Um. I'm not like blaming the brave, but I do think there's a direct line between those two things. Sure. Uh, I also want to shout out Bob Haney. Bob Haney is the writer of pretty much all of the brave and the bold. Uh, a very <laughs> underrated, underappreciated writer. Criminal because yep. he wrote silly, funny books. If you were to ask people nowadays it, to, I don't know if most comic fans could tell you who Bob Haney was. And, and Bob Haney is a uh, a masterful writer. A legend, an yep. icon, um, yep. a humorist, he deserves, which is hard to do. He deserves to be talked about in the same breath as Len Wein and Stephen Lard. A hundred percent. And like I said, I really enjoyed reading these issues. Um, he does not believe in continuity. The so. only continuity in The Brave and the Bold is like the rules of who Batman is, um, who the Batman family is, and like what his origin is. And I do think that is refreshing for this type of storytelling. I actually Johnny think ones, man. I think we could use something like this now in modern storytelling. I but agree. I think because on the darker side of Batman's character evolution at the time, we were getting things like ongoing continuity. Uh, we were introducing these dark villainous characters. I think that's one of the reasons why this idea kind of gets swept under the rug. So I would love to dive a little bit into Batman's darkness, how it was introduced into his character. And we're going to do that right after this. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, Jason, are you ready for the darkness? Uh, I'm ready. Geekish Lesson diving into Batman the Bronze Age. Let's go. Darkness. Still nowhere near as dark as contemporary runs that are known as I Am Suicide. It's a pretty stark contrast to the team-up stories that I told you about just now. Um, I think when most of us imagine what we think of as Bronze Age Batman, this is what we're thinking of. Uh, the, the darker evolution. 
I guess. I actually went on our Twitter at JHL Podcast and I asked our listeners to describe Batman during the Bronze Age. And here are some of the words that they used to describe the character. They said grounded, vulnerable, and realistic. Realistic and this for is, the Bronze Age. Look. Okay. I, and look, I know <laughs> I pulled this for a specific reason sure. to, to, to contrast the Silver Age that we're coming out of, but... As, as realistic, of course, as a billionaire dressed up as a giant bat who's a, a hot martial artist can, yeah. can be, of course, mm-hmm. um, asterisk. So most of this type of character evolution takes place in either Detective Comics or the Batman titles of the era. They they do appear in a couple others. There's a couple standalones. Uh, but it's mainly these two. These are these two stories being at the height. These two titles being at the height of their power. This is kind of the beginning of always having a book called Batman and always having a book called Detective Comics running mm-hmm. forward. What's really fun about Batman comics is they're filled with really great backups during this era. They alternate storylines highlighting Robin and Batgirl, which definitely feel like pilots for the 1990s Robin Nightwing solo series and the early aughts Batgirl Oracle solo series. And the 90s Robin series. That's Yeah, I said 90s Robin and Nightwing solo series. Oh, I didn't hear. I thought you just said Nightwing. Um, Sorry. You know, in the 70s, there's also Joker. Uh, solo series. You know what? We don't need any Joker solo series. <laughs> I will die on this hill. It's like the only Joker series that I think should exist. Is um, <laughs> and one of the reasons why these two characters are relegated to backup stories is because they don't really appear in the main Batman title mm-hmm. and the real de- the main Detective Comics title because Batman is sort of on uh, doing this back to basics. Robin era. at the time would have appeared in World's Finest. He was in World's Finest, yeah, and yeah. he was in. We're we're running right up against the new Teen Titans. Yeah, but I think I think the old Titans were at this time too. So or running around. I think there was an old titles Titans title being published right now. Um, but I mean, like he's about Robin is yeah. about to found the Wolfman Perez Titans yeah. and in then like evolve years. into yeah, Nightwing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, during during sure. the end of the Bronze Age. Um, There's also a Batman family title being published around this time, but honestly, it's like not as good as the main Batman title and the backups combined, um, which I think is a reason why it's sort of fallen out of the collective consciousness, but it did exist. Comic book historians um, kind of catch themselves arguing over which issue specifically begins Batman's Bronze Age. Um, I've seen a couple different cases, but the consensus seems to be that it's a Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams story called The Secret of Waiting Graves, Mm -hmm. which was published in 1969. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm going to tell you about it right now. It's set in Mexico, so you know that this is going to be really culturally sensitive. And it involves Batman going up against a wealthy couple called the Muertos. See what I mean? Cultural sensitivity. Mm. They drug him with a powerful flower that makes you hallucinate. It's not quite uh, Superman for the man who has everything because it wasn't written until 1985, but it has that similar kind of vibe because the flower um, makes you hallucinate horrible things, but they start out as like slightly less horrible things. This same flower has also been keeping the Muertos alive and they're over 130 years old. They're planning to dose the entire planet in the poison and cause mass hallucinations and hysteria. Batman is able to gather his wits through sheer strength of will and burn down the entire crop of the flower, which, of course, it's set in this beautiful gothic hacienda, uh, thus stopping the Muertos from poisoning the world and cutting off their source of immortality and winning the day. So, Jason, I would like you to do um, a thought experiment, a little bit of acting for me right now. Mm -hmm. If you're used to reading silly Silver Age adventures, how do you think you would react to this type of storytelling? I'd be like, why did Batman become such a sourpuss? 
<laughs> you don't think you'd be like intrigued or impressed or I mean, I don't know. Titillated. I've already said I'm 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 I like fun swashbuckling Batman. But this is Globetrotting, he's in Mexico. Super foreign. I mean, yeah, but for he's, your American audience. But he's burning down crops. Which is never. I mean, it's not a. It's a garden. Okay. It's their crop of this magical flower. He's burning down innocent people's gardens. Yeah. (laughs) Back off, Batman. Those are people are just trying to get a little bit of extra food on their side. I know you're a billionaire and you don't need an extra garden, but some people do, Batman. Some people do. (laughs) It's kind of like him burning down the Black Panther flower. Yeah, I guess. Because it has you know magical properties and all that. Um, During the Bronze Age, Batman is also defined by the creation, introduction, and reintroduction of a lot of classic villains. Jason, do you know who the two most famous villains who were introduced during this era are? Uh, Clayface? No, Clayface 3 is is introduced, and then Hugo Strange is brought back, but you alluded to them earlier. Ra's al Ghul is like the most famous. And... Talia? His daughter, Talia. Oh, you're counting both? Yeah, they're different oh, characters. Okay. Talia's actually introduced first, fun fact, before okay. Russell Ghoul. Um My gut wanted to say Mr. Freeze, but I know he was in Batman 66, so I knew that wasn't true. Yes. Uh, we have episodes on both of these characters as well. I do know that Two-Face is reintroduced in a big way because for a long time, the Batman writers didn't want to use him because... And weirdly, they thought he was... He, they thought he was either too scary or too goofy... And I so mean both kind of he kinda, he's done well. He kind of sits out the 1960s, but he comes back. I believe Denny O'Neill in this era brings mm-hmm. back Two Face. He does a lot of characters. The best who, Batman villain who kind of went unappreciated or, or were let lay fallow in the Silver Age because they were considered quote unquote too dark and too scary. Are are mm-hmm. brought back. Um, but I want to talk about the Al Ghuls. We have an episode on Ra's Al Ghuls, episode 66, and then we have an episode on Talia's episode 147. So I'm not going to give you their intros. Um, but both of these characters are introduced in a series of stories in Detective Comics and Batman. So both of the main titles. They are now collected and known as the Demon Saga, but DC didn't come and say, write the demon saga. No. That's just, what, and they're not concurrent issues. They're not from the same series. They're kind of all over the place. But if you read this collection, um, spoilers for our recommended reading, like I did, it's one, again, you have to get past a little bit of cultural insensitivity uh, about like the Asiatic regions, but it's really good storytelling. Um, and they do feel like they are, concur- there is a continuity. It's a very light continuity. Um from issue to issue, it does feel like it was intended to be written as a single story, which I think just speaks to the strengths of the creatives working at this time. Mm-hmm. So Talia is introduced first, like I told you. She is a damsel in distress who must be rescued by Batman and is revealed at the end of the issue to be the daughter of the leader of the League of Assassins. In her second appearance, we get Roz's first appearance. Uh, so he shows up the second time and is like, voila, my daughter. And then she's like, hello, I am here. Uh, the Demon Saga also includes the wedding of Talia al Ghul to Batman, mm-hmm. as well as the implied sexual assault of Batman, which uh, eventually through a series of retcons, not only belies how popular body hair was at the time, but the existence of Damian Wayne. It, there also is, and it depends on which version of this, it has now also been retconned that Talia drugged Batman That is to marry her yes, and to yes. uh, have uh, sexual relations with her. Yeah. I don't agree with that. I think... Well, like, literally in the page, he's like, I don't remember saying yes. Yeah. And Roz is like, all that matters in this country is that I say yes, you're married now. And then they kiss it. Like, the kiss looks consensual, but the wedding ceremony doesn't, so... Look, again, I said it again, Batman is very inspired by James Bond during this period. 
I think James Bond getting whacked over the head all the time. I think James Batman, <laughs> Batman James Batman. I think he saw Talia Al Ghul, and you know she's an attractive lady. They kiss at the end of the first issue. Yeah, she's like weeping in his arms, and he kisses yep. her. No, and I, then the second issue, she's like, "I love you," and he's like, "I don't not feel the same." Look, I don't think I don't think the Bond girl Talia Al Ghul. Yeah. Uh, the greatest I, Bond girl. I, I don't think she drugged James Batman. I think <laughs> I think James Batman had a couple martinis and uh, had a great night. That's fascinating because I think the opposite. Oh, you think she definitely did? I think she definitely drugged him. And I think she well, now, definitely I, took advantage of him. Can I ask you why Why you see it that way? I see it that way for, for two reasons. I see it one way. One Part of me, I'm sure, sees it that way because it's refreshing to see that type of story told on a powerful male character. Yeah, not that's that fair. that's fair. Not that I think anyone in real life deserves to go through anything like that, but that is something that is almost exclusively reserved for female characters. So to put that kind of trauma on a male character, I think is unintentionally kind of progressive and interesting because men men can and do get assaulted. Mm -hmm. We need we should have put a trigger warning at the beginning of this episode. Yeah, it's fine. Um but I uh, also because in my opinion Talia is a villain. Yeah, and that's is. high villain. Be like, you would have no qualms about a man doing that to a woman if they were the like if 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 she was if if he was the Bond villain and she was the Bond girl, you'd be like, yeah, he probably takes advantage of her. So why should mm -hmm. the standard be different the other way? Uh, that's fair. Also because I don't like Damien, so I'm like, sure, make him a product of a horrible <laughs> oh, event. So that's what this is about. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. You're like the only way this Hellspawn could have been brought into existence is under. <laughs> and look, I hear, I hear the men. I hear you screaming at me through Twitter. I'm Keep, it, keep it no 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 keep it to yourself i know there is a school of thought that thinks that talia doesn't like physically climb on top of batman she just like takes a needle and withdraws no, no. his special sauce um i don't agree with that i think we need to move on <laughs> but i did not think special sauce is gonna be uttered in batman the but just to finish talking about the al ghouls and their legacy <laughs> sorry to the children uh to this day, Talia. Do you expect me? <laughs> don't, don't do it. Do you expect me to impregnate you, Talia? <laughs> and she's like, Yes. <laughs> no, James, I have a needle. <laughs> Is that any worse? <laughs> Is that any better? <laughs> Batman. James Batman. James Batman. Maybe James Batman can come back for the Christmas special. We won't remember. Would, <laughs> would Batman James Batman be a good shirt? Just text Batman James sure, Batman. Why not? In, 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 in the clerk's font. <laughs> in the clerk's font. Oh my God. To this day, Talia remains a long term romantic interest for Batman. Um, Rosal Ghoul and Talia remain long term and very interesting villains every time they show back up. I'm always compelled by what they're doing. It's so funny because I view I view uh, Talia as almost an antihero because she does as many. What's the opposite of a hero, Jason? A villain. Antihero, and um, <laughs> I hate because, that word because she basically a lot of times does a lot of good. She she's kind of like Lex Luthor. If if it benefits her, she'll help out the Justice League. But if it doesn't. She'll screw them over. I just don't like her as a full villain. Uh, I do. I would love a Batman movie where we cast somebody like uh, Michelle Yao in the 90s to be like a full Ooh, evil Talia Al Ghul. She'd be like, good. I would, I'd have, screw it, cast her now. Yeah. Uh, she can be the head of the League of Assassins. Like, I, I would watch it. We can just say that she's actually like, you know, she's actually 230 years because of the Lazarus Pit. Look, we can all pray that we look that good when we get to be Michelle Yao's mm -hmm. age. Um, the introduction of Talia Al Ghul and uh, Ra's Al Ghul also comes after 
Um, Neil Adams co-created Man Bat in a series of issues known as now the Man Bat trilogy. Again, not concurrent, not intended as a trilogy. I love how they like if they put they they did like three issues or three storylines in a row. Like immediately, fans were like, "It's a trilogy." I actually think a lot of that has been stolen from like Reddit and people on the internet, and they're just adopting these names so that they can sell trades and collections. Yes. And I mean, shout out to Collected Editions. That's a smart thing to do. Um, and the, the the creation of Man Bat is considered to be a dark turning point in the types of original villains that Batman would go on to be facing moving forward. And it also informs, like you said, the reintroduction of Two-Face, yeah. who was considered very dark from this point forward. The best Batman villain. I'm just saying, throwing it out there again. Uh, so, Jason, aside yes. from all of our laughter, what do you think is the legacy of Talia and Ra's al Ghul in the larger Batman mythology? It's them being Bond villains. A mm-hmm. hundred. Percent. It's them. It's them bewitching Bond, uh, Batman, James Batman. Um, <laughs> you know, it's look. Ra's al Ghul is one of the best Batman villains. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. I think he's just been overused a lot, and so has Talia been overused a lot. Um, it's it's the same as Doctor Doom. It's the same as Blofeld. It's the same as Darkseid. The more you trot them out, the less powerful they become. And Ra's al Ghul has just been trotted out quite a bit, but. I completely understand when Christopher Nolan yeah, yeah, yeah. was being was thinking about how can I make a Batman movie that's different that just doesn't well, do it, the Joker. If you think about that whole trilogy, could arguably be the Ra's al Ghul Batman trilogy. against the Al Ghuls. Yes, yeah. um, especially if you go off the original what the original version of the Dark Knight Rises was yeah, supposed to yeah, be yeah, yeah, when yeah. Bane Bane was going to be. There was a version where um, there was an early version where Bane was going to be her brother, mm-hmm. and then there was an early version where they were going to like confirm that like Bane and Batman were at the League of Shadows at the same time yeah. and that they knew each other. Um, but no, I understand like making to be like Ra's al Ghul is the kickoff villain. The great choice. He's a great villain. And um, I like Talia, but I like Talia not as the villain. I like her just like I said, like she is um, to take this back to the bond metaphor. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think she is like sort of the criminal that is, you know, maybe lives in Cuba that James Bond flies to and says, hey, I know you're working with Blofeld. Tell me where Blofeld is. Mm-hmm. And, and she's like, well, maybe if you kiss me. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, if James Batman, Batman, James Batman kisses her, <laughs> she tells him the location of Blofeld. Mm-hmm. Ra's al Ghul, her dad. So the ba- the Batman, the Bronze Age marks not only the darkening of a tone for Batman himself, but for his greatest foe as well. Who is that, Jason? Two-Face. <laughs> no, it's not. I've said it. No. It's Two-Face. No. Okay, uh, Man Bat? No, I wish. That Man Bat story was... Are you going... Are we we talking about Joker? We sure are. (sighs) You love it. Episode 247, The Joker. At the beginning of the Bronze Age, there is a pretty camp Silver Age-esque story um, starring the Joker called The Joker's Five Ray Revenge. Uh, It's Batman number 251. Even if you don't know the storyline, you absolutely know what the cover looks like. I'm going to share this on socials, but I'm going to show it to Jason right now. Like you've seen that. You've seen that cover. It's a Joker holding a playing card ace and Batman is on it. It's like a very iconic image. Yes. Okay, so TLDR, the Joker breaks out of a mental hospital, not specifically Arkham, where he's being held and he vows revenge on five members of his former gang who ratted him out. So Batman has to stop him. It's compelling, but it's definitely like Silver Age silly. At the end of the Bronze Age, the Joker gets another story that is comparatively pretty mature and serious. The Jokerfish? Uh, the Jokerfish does happen in this mm-hmm. uh, collection. Mm-hmm. It's called Batman Strange Apparitions. It's written by Steve Englehart and Marshall Rogers with Walt Simonson and Len Wein also working on the run. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, the story takes place from Detective Comics 469 to 479. This is the run that is considered the Silver St. Cloud story. Yes, and I, I I know for a fact that this was later rebranded the Silver St. Cloud trilogy. It sure was. <laughs> uh, this fee- this is has been published before as a collection simply called Batman Silver St. Cloud. Uh, but now it is called Batman Strange Apparitions because that was what the original issue was mm-hmm. called that kicks this off. Mm-hmm. This features the Jokerfish cover. Yeah. Um, Batman deals with a new villain here named Dr. Phosphorus. Jason, do you know who Dr. Phosphorus is? Uh, loosely. He's like a chemically kind of embased. I, I, isn't he always like look like he's smoking or like his head is smoking? Yes. There's an X-Men character who looks exactly yeah. like him. He's kind of a skeleton in a gelatinous blob yes. and he's like yep. greeny yellow. And when you touch him, you burn because phosphorus burns the skin. The 70s were a big time of chemicals and nukes and science villains well this is also a direct reaction to a lot of marvel stuff this type of villain you gotta realize we're coming out of the atomic age 100 percent. so i think this is a reaction to yeah there's so many villains that are like radioactive glowing like atomic skull comes from this era yes 100 percent. it looks very similar to dr phosphorus yeah like a walking skeleton in like a gelatinous energy blob yeah um, I actually think Dr. Phosphorus would be a great character br- to bring back and maybe put up against one of Batman's protégés. Um, I just thought he was cooler than I expected when I read this story. Okay, can we talk about Silver St. Cloud and why you like her so much? Um, I think... Because you're a diehard, like, Batman Catwoman shipper, so... Yes, but I think of, like, I think Silver St. Cloud... Um, is just really well one she has a great look she's so stunning because she's one of those classic comic book characters that has white hair that's not old yes <laughs> um you know i i really like her because i like that she is almost an equal of bruce wayne not batman she is uh they meet at a ball yeah and and she's a and she's a rich debutante as well she is but she's not a, so at the end of their first the, 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 the at the end of the issue where they meet for the first time they meet at the ball they flirt she has a date but Batman's like well if your date doesn't come back I'll be your date and then he runs off and he's like I have two hours until dinner so Batman lives he goes and fights dr phosphorus and dr phosphorus like throws him into Gotham Harbor mm-hmm. swims back to wherever maybe Wayne Manor wherever it's happening um or Wayne Tower strips off his clothes uh, back in the tuxedo sees Silver St. Cloud she's still alone they kiss and then the last panel is she's looking at her hand which was on the back of his head and it's wet and it's glowing from the phosphorus and she's like I wonder why that's happening I'm gonna make a note and find out like she is a smart yep. cookie I also this might happen in the same storyline but there is a there's a moment somewhere in the storyline I think where Batman gets replaced by Hugo Strange the, that's the same story I, mean, I have not even got to Hugo oh, Strange okay. yeah, yeah that's the same storyline we can jump right there okay. that's fine can, can we bring in it because yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah. So after this, so Batman gets captured in the storyline. Hugo Strange actually impersonates Batman yes, which is and a, Bruce Wayne, which is a classic Hugo Strange yeah, move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he and gets abs suddenly when he puts the bat suit on. This is the this is I think the reason why I like Silver Saint Cloud. Like it tells me everything about her is that so he Hugo Strange dresses up as Bruce Wayne. Yep, comes to this party. Yep, sees Silver Saint Cloud. Yep, talks to him. Yep, and Silver Saint Cloud kind of immediately knows it's not Bruce or she's like something's off well and her and Bruce it's implied because there's quite a lot of time that the story takes place over they talk a lot on the phone yes and so her kids phones are things that used to come out of your walls her reaction (laughs) to that is I remember this is to call Dick Grayson that's right 
because she's who's like, away at Hudson University. Who's at university? Yeah. And so she calls Dick Grayson and is like, sums up with Bruce. You want to figure it out? And that is what brings Robin into this storyline. Mm-hmm. But also, and I think this is the start of because she figures out Batman's secret. She figures she out that do, Bruce is Batman. She do, yeah. And this is, I think, the start of it where she's like, well, why was Bruce acting funny at that party? And then the Dr. Phosphorus thing, and then it's like multiple things. And then eventually she's like, she's like, oh, you're Batman. Yep. She figures it out. Yeah. I'm surprised. This was my, I've always known who Silver St. Cloud was. I've never been impressed by her. Mm-hmm. After reading Strange Apparitions, I was very impressed with her. And I was like, why haven't we done Silver St. Cloud in a movie? Something yep. with this character yeah i think i think also you could cast literally anyone any race and just put a good put a denarius wig on her who cares i think it's because she's not just the ingenue yeah it's because she she is the ingenue but she's smart But she's a smarty pants yeah Yeah. uh and it's nice to have a character who's like bruce wayne's equal Mm -hmm. uh intellectually uh during this arc, uh, they introduce a new Gotham mob boss named Rupert Thorne. Oh, yes. Uh, which, um, again, from if you know the Batman the Anime series, you know Rupert Thorne. Rupert Thorne becomes the mayor. There's a lot of intercity politics of, like, this doctor's a city council member, so Batman has to go, like, knock him over for information in this. Uh, Hugo Strange is reintroduced. He ha- we haven't seen him since the golden age at this point. Um, Hugo Strange, when he's done well is a really cool Batman villain, but I unfortunately think he has more not good stories Mm. than good stories. Personally, um, Batman also has to fight Deadshot and the Joker in this story. Um, Deadshot was a wild introduction for me. I completely forgot that he existed at this time. Now, here's the thing about this. Yes. Before this story. Uh Uh-huh. I was hoping you would bring this up. Deadshot dressed in a tuxedo with a cape. This is his reintroduction. This is where he gets the classic dead shot, the red with the big, uh, um, the, the, the crosshairs on his eye. Yeah, the, the monocle, red and white. I guess. Yes, yeah. this is, scope. It's a scope. <laughs> this is where he gets his classic costume that everybody thinks about. It's from this storyline. And this also is not preceding the Suicide Squad by all that Suicide long. Squad is, yeah, it hasn't appeared, it doesn't appear until the 80s. Yeah, but it, which is only, like, it's, it's not that long after Strange Apparitions. Um, and this is the first time where I think you get shades of how dark the Joker can go. What is ironic is that in 1986, we're going to be introduced to a version of the Joker who's just completely unhinged and utterly horrifying. But a lot of people will point to strange apparitions as where the Joker goes dark when we think of like a post- um, Heath Ledger type of Joker. You can go all the way back to strange apparitions. Mm -hmm. So Jason, I want to ask, we've talked about silly, goofy Batman- We've talked about dark, serious Batman. Did you know that during the Bronze Age, there were also a lot of comic book company crossovers, specifically between DC and Marvel? I did. Are you familiar with the issue Batman versus the Incredible Hulk? Uh, No, but I am familiar during this issue of the Spider-Man Superman crossover. But please tell me about Batman and the Incredible Hulk. So when this was collected, this has only been collected once. DC published these stories as DC special series. Uh, This is number 27 from September of 1981 is Batman versus the Incredible Hulk. It's just like Jason evoked Superman, Spider-Man. They took two characters. They ostensibly pitted them. They would fight and then they would team up. 
uh, for a single issue and they would uh, have to contrive reasons why these characters lived or worked in the same universe. Mm-hmm. This issue is written by Len Wein with art by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, who you may know as being one of the greatest people to ever grace Wonder Woman. If you see Wonder Woman on a shirt, on a cup, and it's not a piece of modern art, it is 100% Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. He is underrated for drawing all of, like for how, how talented he is doing not Wonder Woman stuff as well. Um, and kind of follows or maybe debuts the Nicola Scott, fellow Wonder Woman artist style of uh, draws the most beautiful people in comic books. I'm going to tell you about this crossover as soon as we come back and I'll reveal to you who wins Batman or the Incredible Hulk. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli. I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, I'm going to set the scene for you. All right, Geek History Lesson, we're back. We're talking about Batman, the Bronze Age, and we're going to figure out how Batman is able to beat the Incredible Hulk. Uh, I'm going to say the Incredible Hulk smashes him into a puddle, and that the actual Batman that is in comic books is a Bruce Wayne clone. Uh, I would love that to be true. Exterior, Gotham City, night. We see the Wayne Research Building. Enter Dr. Bruce Banner, who works at the Wayne Research Building. He is developing a... Gamma gun with the hopes that he can cure himself from turning into the Hulk by shooting himself with more gamma rays. Like you do. Now, Jason, which classic Batman villain that we just talked about do you think wants to steal the gamma gun? Two-Face. That's right, the Joker. <laughs> Joker James Joker. Okay. Uh, the Joker is trying to steal. No, it's Earth's Starro Joker. Oh, my God. (laughs) At least he got the right number of syllables. Uh, And then he has a fish instead of a cat, maybe. Uh, So the Joker trying to steal the gamma gun causes Banner to hulk out, which attracts Batman, who just happens to be hanging around, uh, who uses gas from his thingy and his utility belt to subdue the Hulk. And then the Joker escapes. When Hulk reverts to Bruce Banner, Bruce Wayne suddenly emerges and offers Banner a full-time job to build a new, new Gamma Gun. Oh, cool. Woo! Lucky for both of the Bruces. The Joker takes the Gamma Gun to the Shaper of Worlds, who is losing his power. Spoiler alert, the Shaper of Worlds doesn't 
exist outside of the story. Uh, and DC uh, claims this is a Marvel character and Marvel simply does not claim this character. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the shape of world's powers are to absorb people's dreams and he's losing his powers. Okay. So he thinks if he shoots himself with a gamma gun, his powers will come back. It doesn't work. So the shape of world sends the Joker back out and is like, bring me Bruce Banner. Where's Bruce Banner? Bruce Banner is working on a Wayne ship out in the ocean. Okay. Because why not? Uh, he where, likes the water. He likes the breeze. Where uh, when he's attacked, he once again hulks out. He's captured by the Joker and is taken before the Shaper of Worlds. Mm. When they're in the same room, the Shaper of Worlds powers come back as a result of being close to the Hulk's radiation. Which, sure. The Hulk escapes. Then Batman and the Joker work together to track down the Hulk. The Shaper of Worlds uses the Last of Us powers to create illusions for Batman and the Hulk of their enemies. So the heroes are forced to work together to fight their fake enemies. But the Hulk gets mad um, and comes after the Shaper of Worlds instead. Uh, They fight and all of the hugging and physical contact cure the Shaper of Worlds. He gets all his powers back. So he is about to leave. And he was like, oh, yeah, Joker, uh, thanks for the help. Here's all the remainders of my powers. So now the Joker can shape the world as he wants to. So many writers want to give the Joker superpowers, and I'm not a fan of that. Yeah, well, they made him pregnant recently in the comic books, so they're running out of ideas. That was a joke panel. I know. That was a joke panel. The internet lost their mind. They did lose their mind over a a dream (laughs) joke Over what was obviously a joke. Uh, Batman challenges the Joker to create everything that ever was or ever will be. And it's too much for the Joker's puny brain. So he faints and loses all of his powers. The Joker goes into a coma. Batman loses faith uh, of ever being able to help Bruce uh, Branner cure his Hulkness. And the comic book ends. Jason Inman, as a writer, is this a good crossover story? Nope, because I'll be honest (laughs) with you, I lost... Uh, like, well, I guess, you know, this is very appropriate for the uh, Batman, James Batman era, because like most Bond films, I had no clue what was happening most of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, look, I read this and I was like, I think I, I, I you came from you came for the gag of the two Bruces mm-hmm. and they're both like sciencey inventory types. Um, I just don't think the Hulk and Batman are the two characters to pit against each other. I think we've seen cooler Batman crossovers since then. Yep. Um, but because this one kind of uh, is towards the end of the Bronze Age, I thought it would be fun to explore it. Batman continues pushing the envelope, getting darker and more gothic under the auspices of Steve Englehart and Danny O'Neill as the 80s get to their mid-range. And then 1985 happens. Wow, we're already in 1985. Jason, what happens in 1985? Uh, well, a lot of stuff, Ashley. Uh, President Reagan uh, probably passed some policies that made some people happy and made some other people mad. I'm certain that... Oh, boy, uh, I could get out of soapbox uh, about him right now. <laughs> the USSR, uh, I, I bet, moved some troops to some areas that we didn't like. And then DC Comics, in response to both of these political machinations, said, we need to reboot our entire universe. That's right. I knew I got it. <laughs> Crisis on Infinite Earths happens. And then, Jason, what happens in 1986? Uh, well, it started in 85, I think. Dark Knight Returns. Starts Dark in 1986. Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns, which is a three-issue miniseries prestige format that is basically the last story of Batman. But it there is definitely a demarcation point Before, pre and post yeah, the story. Yeah. Because it influences every Batman story post it. I don't want to talk too much about it, um, but... 
I think Batman was headed in that direction anyway. Especially when you look at a lot of what the De- Denny O'Neill stories towards mm-hmm. the late seventies and early eighties, and also during this period, I know this is more appropriate for a a Robin uh, Dark Age or Robin Bronze Age. Is that you know this is the time period uh, before nineteen eighty five that Robin. Dick Grayson stops being Robin in 1983 and he becomes a Nightwing. Yep. And then we have to deal with um, what are we going to do with the new Robin? Jason Todd Jason shows Todd. up. And then, and then not too long after that, um, Tim Drake gets mm-hmm. introduced as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so Crisis on Infinite Earth, Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen are what most people agree to be the end of the Bronze Age um, slash the beginning of what is colloquially known as the Dark Age of Comics. I don't like that name, Mm -hmm. uh, but it's the one that people seem to be using. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Excuse me. So I want to leave this episode here and begin with the Dark Knight Returns in our next episode. All right, cool. So that is your Batman the Bronze Age. Nice. It was, I really wanted to highlight what I thought were the three specific personalities and three evolutions of Batman during this period. So I hope people found it interesting. Cool. Uh, shall we roll into our recommended reading? Yes, that's everybody. If you go over to geekhistorylesson.com slash recommended reading, you're going to find all the suggestions that Ash is going to give you for Batman, the Bronze Age reading. And you can find reading for all of our past episodes. Click on the little widgets, take you directly to a spot that you can uh, pick up the books and enjoy some reading. And a little bit of that comes back our way. Ashley, what is joining that list? I want you to know that we always recommend books that we have either read in preparation for this or we think are great examples. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed everything that I read. So like these are with my full chest recommendations for you to read. First, Batman, the Brave and the Bold, Bronze Age Omnibus, Volume 1. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Check it out. Batman, the Demon Saga. It's amazing. Check it out. Batman, Strange Apparitions. It's amazing. Check it out. And then I always whack these two onto our Batman history lessons. Batman, a celebration of 75 years and Detective Comics, a celebration of 80 years. Um, the people who put these collections together over at DC do a really great job at highlighting what is unique and special about a lot of different eras. And I always go to their recommendations first and branch out from there. So there's a lot, there's a lot of pages in this week's recommended reading. Mm-hmm. Um, I read a lot of these in about four days. So I know that they can give you months of entertainment. Mm-hmm. Alrighty. What are we doing next? Uh, I don't know, Ashley. You tell me as the person who developed this episode. We're going to hop into our discussion. Cool. You want to set that up? I would love to. So we are going to be joined today. I don't know why you put that in my lab. <laughs> I was trying to include you. I'm sorry. Batman, Ashley, Batman. There you go. I am Batman and that's what happens. I as th- the person who can't see the episode out loud. I throw the segments to everybody else. So now that we have uh, one Batman and one sidekick, that's not enough for a Batman family. We need another sidekick. So we're going to bring in Word Balloon podcast host and former mild-mannered reporter from CBS Radio Chicago, the incredibly talented, the voice, the man, the myth, the legend himself, Mr. John Suntress. Hi, John. Welcome to Geek History Lesson. Ash, Jace, great to talk to you guys. How you been? Uh, We've been well, and we're even better now that you are on Geek History Lesson, because I've been a long time, Ashley's been a long time fan of Word Balloon podcasts for a very long time. We both appeared on it. Uh, We've also been trying to get John in the right spot <laughs> yep. on the right podcast yeah. for a long time. So it's, it is, it <laughs> is a long time coming. <laughs> it's an honor to have you on our podcast. We, the tables are turned, my friend. <laughs> I'm excited. No, it's, I truly, I am always happy to talk to you, whether it's on my show or your show. So this is great. 
Okay, let's start super easy, super softball, super fine question, John. How did you get into comics? Well, um, geez, my uh, my family really uh, encouraged comic book reading to help me learn how to read in general. So I remember at a very early age being handed um, my uh, older cousins and older brothers' uh, comics. And I even remember going to the barbershop down the street from my dad's restaurant, Vince's Barbershop, and he had, I remember distinctly, Carmine Infantino flashes, now that I know what they looked like, and um, uh, Gil Kane, Green Lanterns, a lot of DC, not very much Marvel. In fact, I'm reasonably certain, other than um, being aware of both the Marvel superhero cartoons and the Ralph Bakshi 67 Spider-Man cartoon. Mm-hmm. Those were all in syndication when I was a kid. So that was my first Marvel exposure. And I really started buying Marvels on my own. The uh, the Treasury Editions, the dollar oversized Treasury Editions, Fantastic Four and Avengers were my first Marvel comics. But DC I'd been reading for years as hand-me-downs. And then really when I had my 50 cent allowance, I could <laughs> go down to the, <laughs> go down to the drugstore or the candy store, literally back then, and uh, buy you know uh, twenty cent comics off the rack. What was I, a question not related to comic books? What was your dad's restaurant? What kind of oh, food? Uh, he uh, in the very early fifties uh, had an Italian uh, a restaurant and pizzeria. Uh, with his, I was like Jason uh, is Chicago, of course, pizza. Exactly. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't want to assume. You know, it's crazy. Uh, you guys know, I, you know, uh, Ash and I had. Uh, dinner at a, a great place called Paisano's mm-hmm. and it's part of that great Chicago history of deep dish pizza. Lou Malnati's is a pretty famous brand of Chicago deep dish pizza. Now my dad had thin crust, but uh, Lou was uh, a good friend of my father's and really uh, they both had houses in the same town. And when Malnati's started to expand, even just locally, uh, Lou was always talking to my father because they really weren't in competition because they were uh, in different places of the city. So, you know, it was fine. They were different neighborhoods and they were just good friends. And, you know, as Lou expanded, my dad's like, hey, way to go, which was hilarious. I, and, now, and now it's like, you know, world known. I mean, you know, they've have Malnati's in London, for God's sakes. I love that all of our Chicago podcast fans are just freaking out about this pizza talk right now. I love this. <laughs> They're like, I know those places. Wow. <laughs> well, Paisano's also like, here's if you're, if you ever come to see 2 e it's right, right around the corner from the convention center. I want to, I've never been to Chicago and I really want to. Um, but speaking of things in Chicago, which is John, we have to, <laughs> we have to get to the question here, John, you know, Batman, we've been doing these series, Batman and the golden age, Batman, the silver age. We finally made it to Batman and the bronze age. Also, Yay. Dawn of DC is right around the corner. So we're evolving again yeah. in the modern age. And I, and I want to ask you, John, like, what do you love? And you can even throw in, what do you dislike? But I want to hear what you love about Batman stories from the bronze age, from the seventies. Well, you know, that's really when I started buying on my own and, um, I was a, a kid again, a rerun kid. So the Adam West reruns were running every after weekday afternoon, and I loved Adam West and the whole thing. And as I got older, Batman stories got more, uh, for lack of a better word, sophisticated. I mean, they really did you like that at the yeah, time. Do you remember? Yes, I did. Oh, very much. Okay, so, because um, I liked the the, uh, the the Adam West show, but it was really exciting when in you know they. Uh, Robin went off to Hudson University, and yeah. uh, there's—I forget the name of that story. It's such a great story, 
where like literally, you know, Robin is or Dick is like, hey, you know, I'm really sorry I'm leaving, but this is great college. You guys take it easy. And then he gets in the cab and he's crying. He's like, I hate long goodbyes. And, uh, you know, Alfred and, and like, I'm going to go learn math, Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> but but Bruce and Alfred really kind of take stock. And it's like, God, you know, we're really like idiots just sitting here in the manor when all the action is happening in the city. And oh, that's yeah. when they, and that's when they drop clothed everything in the Batcave and shut down Wayne Manor and they move back downtown. And, you know, Bruce got more involved with the Wayne Foundation. And, yeah, I just I did. It was like, all right, this is exciting. And also you know, my, the yeah. whole the whole Denny O'Neill, uh, Neil Adams start to uh, the Bronze Age and all the uh, other writers and artists that followed. No, they were fun stories. One of my favorite things about the Christopher Nolan Dark Knight movie is that when they show Alfred and Bruce in the skyscraper in Gotham, I immediately was like, oh, we're doing Batman the Bronze Age. Yeah, like, but like every three yeah. issues, Bruce is like has to go back to the OG Batcave or something. And he's like, I know Alfred likes downtown, <laughs> but this is my ancestral home. Like he's so moody being back there. I can't have the giant penny in my apartment. This place sucks. <laughs> There's no room. Absolutely not. Yeah, that's the thing, man. All the great trophies, the dinosaur. All that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, listen, I love all the bells and whistles of Wayne Manor. I loved when you'd get a treasury edition of Batman. They would have like the two page spread of details of the Batman. I miss treasury editions. Mm-hmm. They're the best. I mean, even when yeah. Alex Ross and Paul Dini were doing those special. Yeah, in the 90s. Editions. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, they they didn't have the fun bonus stuff beyond the story. And it really is a line of times. It is like I, I was saying, the, the cutaway of the Batcave or in the Superman Treasury Edition, uh, they showed you the conceptual art for the Superman amusement park in Metropolis, Illinois. That never happened. You know, things like that. And it's like, oh, man, you know, or I remember the Baxter building uh, cutaways in, yes. uh, in the FF Treasury Edition. So, yeah, man, I, you know, I do. I kind of when I go to conventions, I seek out Treasury Editions. And if they're reasonably priced, I totally nab them. Wow, that's great. <laughs> Is there anything else besides Treasury Edition specifically that you look for when you go to conventions? Yeah, you know, honestly, it is a lot of Bronze Age comics and not only the obvious ones, but I like the weird stuff like weird Western tales. And uh, oh, John, you know. weird Western tales. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, what so my, good. One of my prized possessions. And I got this at my first WonderCon when WonderCon was still in uh, San Francisco. Mm-hmm. I have a uh, I have a Jonah Hex that Tony DeZaniga drew and it was ridiculously lower. I mean, it was under a hundred dollars and I had him personalize it to me and it's uh, I'm looking at it right now on my wall in my living room. One of my favorite wow, pieces. That's great. Yeah. I, I have a weird, I've always felt that like action comics, like sensational comics, like um, detective comics, that weird Western tales and some version of our army at war should always be in circulation at DC. Like those titles should just constantly run. I think house of mystery as well. Yeah. I get that in there. Yeah. I agree with all of that. And I remember in the seventies when DC very proudly, they had the explosion before the implosion and Mm -hmm. you really saw them ramp up the sword and sorcery stuff, the mystery books, the, the Westerns and the war books. And they were great. I remember Joe Orlando was in charge of, like a lot of, I think, the war and, and uh, Western stuff. Um, no, those are great things. And I, and again, I think as we get older, we appreciate those stories. And they had vibrant fan bases. 
So what do you think that the Bronze Age does better than any other era in comic comic books? Like put on your like meta glasses sure. and tell me <laughs> what it does better than the modern age and the golden age. Well, I think honestly, those hundred page spectaculars, which they did in every genre, were mm-hmm. great tutorials on not only what was happening immediately in the front story, which is usually about 17 pages long, but they would have three or four extra stories from the Silver Age and even the Golden Age. And that was my great, uh, that was my geek history lesson was buying those uh, those books because in the Justice League, you would have at least one Justice Society original story. You'd have another throwback Silver Age JLA story. Um, you know, all of these, Batman family, Superman family, um, the 80-page giants even before them that I think seeped into the early part of the 70s. But I really loved the 100-page spectaculars. They were they were great, and that's that. That was the thing about the Bronze Age. They weren't afraid of reprinting their greatest hits, and you know, it's all new to me when it's the first time you're reading it. They also do such a good job at giving characters a chance to be highlighted. Like the Brave and the Bold is so good about taking these minor characters and giving them a spotlight by pairing them with Batman, and then even the Robin and Batgirl backups yep. in Batman, which were sort of like precursors to the mini solo series that we would get in the '90s and the aughts. Uh, which is something that I don't think we do as well anymore in comic books. I completely agree. Absolutely. So, John, we've talked a little bit about this stuff like, you know, Bronze Age and like what it does in the Treasury Editions and stuff like this. And we've, in this lesson, we brought up a lot of people that we think like people have forgotten. They're like great writers and great artists. Like I've always said for a long time that everything of Batman or a majority of what Batman the Animated Series owes, it owes to the altar of Steve Englehart and Danny O'Neill. And so I'd love to hear your opinion of what are some great Batman writers or artists, even DC comic artists of the Bronze Age that you think don't get enough credit now in the modern day? Well, you're right. And I think there are a good number of them from the Bronze Age specifically. One name comes to mind and uh, Ash mentioning those Robin and Batgirl stories. Uh, Frank Robbins, both as a writer and an artist. Yeah. Massive fan and really... Uh, it's fun to realize the stories that he wrote, not only Drew, but the ones that he actually just wrote as well and was really important uh, to those backup features in Detective and Batman and uh, and also his unique art style that if you go back to the comic strip days, he had a very Milton Kniff, Terry and the Pirate sort of style with his action hero, Johnny Hazard. But by the time of the 70s, you look at those Batmans and you look at even what he was doing at Marvel with the invaders, his, his faces are weird. The eyes are kind of strange, but there's something really compelling about his storytelling. You couldn't look away. So Frank Robbins, of course, the great Jim Aparo, uh, my God, mm-hmm. oh, the yeah. signature Batman artist of, I think the bronze age, as I, I would say, hand in hand with Neil Adams. And then the Neil acolytes like Don Newton was a tremendous Batman artist. And I don't think that's, his fair share. A lot of people might see his art and mistake it for uh, Neil. Dick Giordano, of course, not only as an anchor, but as a penciler as well. He was he was Jason's big pull for mm-hmm. your favorite Bronze Age artist. <laughs> no, I mean, that's the thing. These guys really, they they really embrace the idea of the new style for Batman and, uh, and just, you know, took the ball and ran with it. And like you said, I love the Brave and Bold. You know, my favorite Brave and Bold guest star, he made several appearances was wildcat 
and it didn't. I, oh, know, yeah. I didn't. I didn't have. Fun. You love a boxer, well, John. of course, exactly. <laughs> Ted Grant, former heavyweight champion, but I didn't. I I don't know. I, as a kid, I, I think I was introduced to Wildcat first in Brave and Bold. So then to later learn that he was a JSA character and from Earth Two, it's your classic uh, Murray Boltonoff and Bob Haney, who were the editor and writer of Brave and Bold. They didn't care about uh, Bob Haney doesn't get enough credit. Uh, yeah. And also <laughs> just the willingness to uh, not tell stories in continuity and be like, hey, guess what? We're putting Sergeant Rock with Batman. I know he died with the last bullet of the last day of the last of part. World War Two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, the, but we don't care. Here he is as, you know, a guy 30 years after World War Two, you know, uh, early, early senior citizen, but still has enough, you know, in him that he can uh, team up with Batman and have a great story. So no, that's the it. fun stuff that you can do with something like a DC multiverse is just be like, yeah, Sergeant Rock is going to meet Batman and who cares? Yep. Oh, wait, John, I have I have to ask because Jason and I disagree on this. Long ears or short ears on Batman? That's a fair question. And I mean, I don't mean to cop out, but I would say it depends on the artist. Certainly Marshall Rogers with the long ears. Amazing. Yeah. And, and, you know, you can <laughs> even go further to the next decade with guys like Kelly Jones. But uh, yeah, uh, short eared Batman. I suppose that's really, you know, Neil and. Uh, uh, well, you know, a pair was kind of in between. It wasn't as long as Marshall's, but uh, I think longer than I think the short-eared uh, Batman and stuff. So, yeah, as long as it's a, a well-drawn Batman, I'm cool with it. Okay, since we're we're in Brave and the Bold land, we're in crossover land, I want to wrap up this discussion, even though we could talk to John for 100 million years, by asking, besides Batman... For anybody who's listening, who's about to dive into the Bronze Age, John, what do you think other characters are that have awesome stories during the Bronze Age? Ooh, that's a good question. Other Bronze Age characters. Um, well, I would say that Steve Englehart doing Aquaman in Adventure Comics with Jim yeah. Aparo. I think that's great. I think Michael Fleischer and Aparo on the Spectre were uh, were quite good uh, in the 70s. Uh, let's see. So that's that's good. Superman's pretty good at this time, I too. I couldn't disagree, or uh, I wouldn't disagree with you, right? <laughs> I thought you guys were going to come to fist you're wrong. over No, 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 not at all. No, <laughs> no you're right. I, mean, I only, go ahead. I was going to, I was going to, I was going to say, because this is like, it's it's more towards the end of the 70s, but that's where like Kryptonite never more. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, the Bronze Age yeah. goes until the mm-hmm. 1980s. And also, so. I'm a big fan of Clark Kent being a broadcaster, being like a Tom Brokaw. Too, so, you know, I'm, I'm down for Absolutely. That. I know you're right. And good <laughs> Lord, my, truly, and I, and I've had the pleasure of telling all of them, but one, one that uh, guys like uh, Elliot S. Magan and my dear friend, uh, the departed Marty Pasco, were such important storytellers to me. The one guy I haven't been able to tell is Kerry Bates. I've been trying to get him on desperately on Word Balloon, and I guess he just doesn't want to be interviewed. I've asked through uh, Elliot and through Marty when he was still around. My good friend Paul Kupperberg wrote some great Superman stuff for yes. Superman Family and the like. I loved Mr. and Mrs. Superman. In Superman Family, uh, drawn by, um, oh God, what's his name? Um, Kurt Schaffenberger or Schaffenberger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, so yeah, I just, I, I embraced that. Uh, again, that was my period. That was really my hot period, the Bronze Age, really discovering more comics. So yeah, I mean, you know, you know, choose from your favorite uh, children who you love. So there's, there's a good John- dose of DC people. Let me ask you this question and just for because, you know, a lot of our listeners are, um, you know, they're young. Uh, they're we even, have a lot of actual children. <laughs> they're, they're, they're younger than us. Uh, it's fine. If if you were to say to them, you know, they, they've heard all these stories, but, you know, to them, the, the 1970s, early 80s, that's a long time away. And, and those books are harder to find. 
and stuff like that. If somebody was really interested, a modern comic book fan, and they're saying, these stories sound neat. Silver St. Cloud, yes. Dr. Phosphorus, all this stuff sounds cool. What Bronze Age Batman story would you say, this is the one? If you can only read one, this is the one to check well, out. Well, I agree. When you mentioned Silver St. Cloud, The Laughing Fish, I mean, Engelhart and Marcel Rogers, yeah. it's art. Uh, Rogers' art is very elegant and I think has more than stood the test of time. I think Engel's hard story was really great. Um, Bruce lets his guard down and, and that it's the most human, uh, I think of Batman's time in the bronze age, that story. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's a really distinct, wonderful story. I think the first man bat story is a great story as well. Oh, that is a good, you know, book. man or bat, uh, and that, that big, uh, you know, question, but yeah, I mean, there was, you don't love the third the third issue where his girlfriend gets changed into yeah. a bat and they get married? Of course, Bride of Man Bat. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Isn't that every Man Bat story, though? His entire family just becomes bat yes. creatures. I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And he peaked, he peaked early. Oh, what can I, I say? I thought of another. That, that and the lizard always tell the same story. There aren't that many issues, but I loved uh, the Cobra uh, series of the Bronze Age and just the introduction mm-hmm. of Cobra as a villain. And uh, I thought that was a really interesting bra- – and, of course, uh, Archie Goodwin and Walter Simonson's Manhunter Hunter miniseries is, uh, again, a very elegant-looking book. And that, that design of uh, Walter's for Paul Kirk in the 70s, a uh, former bra- uh, Golden Age character that they brought back, gave a really interesting backstory to. Um, so I think that, that's another cool thing. Okay, John, you've blown our mind. Yeah. I don't know if we can – I don't know if we could top this. So I'm going to say thank you for joining us. People can, of course, follow you uh, on Word Balloon. We're all fine podcasts. If you're not already subscribed, what are you even doing with your life? Subscribe to them. Listen to Word Balloon every time He releases time more episodes out. than we do. Um, <laughs> but John, anything, anywhere else you want people to follow you, to support you? Where can they find you on socials? Let the people Yeah, know. on Twitter, I'm at John Word Balloon. Uh, Facebook under Word Balloon Podcast. And my name, John Suntress. Um, you know, I'm on Instagram under word balloon. Uh, I'm not on TikTok. I'm like, nobody needs to see me, uh, dancing to, you know, uh, any, any Taylor Swift song or anything. That's okay. Uh, I'm just saying if you put on a Superman cape and did yeah, it, you'd get a phone. I don't know, buddy. Job. You're, you're very sweet, but uh, let's be honest. I got a, I got a face for radio. It's all good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, I'm on YouTube, uh, also- uh, the word balloon channel on YouTube. That's where Word Balloon Live happens and people want to come in and ask their uh, favorite creators questions. Uh, I Like uh, Jason just said, I do a lot of episodes every month. It's a lot of episodes, a lot of amazing episodes. Again, like I, I, you know, again, it's an honor to have John on this podcast because for years before I ever met John at San Diego Comic-Con and he was so lovely, I would always listen to his multiple Brian Michael Bendis tape episodes. And I remember when I was like reading ultimate spider-man and all those avengers stuff i would always be excited when i would see like oh hey here's the three here's the four hour brian michael bendis episode yeah word balloon is also definitely in the geek history lesson dna as well yeah yeah. (laughs) as a relative uh, it's a pleasure and also i thought we had such a great time talking about the bronze age that i'm going to throw it out to the listeners uh that if you liked john on this episode and And why wouldn't you yeah hashtag bronze age yes we'll bring john back for a full hour and we will just talk about nothing but the i'd love that that would be wonderful and and dig into it so hashtag bronze age yes uh go follow word balloon john uh thank you so much for joining us today on geek guys as always you know it's a mutual admiration society when it comes to the three of us 
And uh, <laughs> I'm always happy to talk to you. And uh, thank you very much for letting me be on the show. And that was a great discussion with John Sundress. Go listen to his podcast, Word Balloon. It's fantastic. He's talked to so everyone. many, so many people, <laughs> literally have, everyone. A lot of people that have written about everyone it. loves John, and everyone comes on this podcast. Yes. All right. So uh, now we're going to the honor roll. No, we're sure going to go to your favorite segment, the teaching tweet. No, just kidding. We're doing the honor roll. Yes. <laughs> I was like, we deleted the teaching tweet segment about a year ago. <laughs> yeah, Why are you bringing this back to a joke? Okay. Uh, are you, are you, has Dr. Phosphorus poisoned you somehow? I've Ashley? read a lot of Batman. This <laughs> what happened in this episode? She's, uh, he's rotted my brain right out of my little bat skull. Okay. So let's go to the honor roll. That's where if you go over to Apple podcast and you leave us a five-star review, we will le- read your review on the air as thanks for leaving us an awesome review. Who is joining the honor roll this week? We have two amazing friends joining. The first is Steve WT 87, who says GHL forever. Geek History Lesson is my all-time favorite podcast that I look forward to listening to every week. Oh, thank you. Ashley and Jason's analysis of comic lore delivers everything an inquisitive comic book reader could want to inform and beguile. Ooh, good word, my friend. They are fun, lighthearted, and intelligent, and their episodes have accompanied me throughout the ups and downs of life of the past several years. Keep up the incredible work. Steve, keep up your incredible life. Thank you for letting us be with you. Thanks for uh, calling us your favorite podcast. That's very sweet. Yeah. And they are also joined by GRD Monkey, who says, my go-to fave and my kids love it too. They're going to love this episode. (laughs) I always enjoy this show. My kids and I especially love the comedy bits, especially Dr. Strange. Oh, it's so sweet. Can we have Dr. Strange uh, just express his thanks as well? This is a Batman episode. How's Dr. Strange show in here? We'll see. Keep reading. You know, Batman and Dr. Strange would be a good crossover. it would be a good I uh, just listened to the Super Pets episode and I would like to request Captain Carrot and the Zoo Crew and the Pet Avengers. Well, consider your request added to our list. Dr. Strange is here. Oh, for- that's so fortuitous. Hello. 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 And hello, kitties of uh, who's GRD you? Monkey. GRD Monkey. Is it, wait, is this person a real monkey? They could be. Is this person a person that I did a spell on that I turned into a monkey? I'm going to say yes. Okay. Well, um, children of the monkey, I'm sorry. <laughs> I did not. Look, sometimes when you're fighting Dormammu, your spells just, you know, get around the corners of buildings and turn people into weird things. So I'm just sorry about that. Also, I'm going to erase your memory of the date rate Batman conversation. Here we go. <laughs> ah, what did we talk about today, Ashley? Who knows? That's correct. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> so, excuse me, GRD Monkey and Steve WT87, welcome into the Teacher's Lounge. Um, dare I ask, Jason, what's going on in there today? Uh, what? I'm sorry. Who what? are you? Who are you? Who are you? No, who are you? Who are you? I'm sorry. I was sitting here and then this guy in a red cape came in and then I just don't even know. Yeah, what he I'm was handsome. Here. I hope he comes back. He did this spell and now I don't remember what we're even doing. Oh, what you're, is this? Uh, this is Geek History Lesson. We oh. have to start our Batman of the Bronze Age episode. Oh, is that like a college class or something? Yeah, you're going to crush it. Okay, just so. Just follow my lead. Okay, cool. Uh, okay, I'll just follow after you. Although okay. uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be hard with uh, having to carry these microphones around. Just, <laughs> that's okay. We're running down the stairs. Uh, All right. All right. <laughs> okay, I'm going to start and uh, okay. you just, okay. okay. Hello and welcome to Geek History Lesson. I'm Ashley Victoria you Robinson. you said something about a teacher's lounge or something. Why are, oh, we, yeah. why are we going downstairs? Uh, what's going on in the teacher's lounge today? Um, there's a refrigerator here. Yeah. Is there anyone like doing anything in here? Um, I mean, there's a person in the corner with a very nice suit and a beard. And I, I, 
I think that's Catherine Hahn with him in the sleeping bag. And then there's a third lady as well. Glass Onion's own Catherine Hahn. And she's in a wedding dress. And yeah, I think I think it looks like somebody had a wedding over there. Do you think they got bag. you think they're in a throuple now? Let's hope. I hope so. Uh, I don't know who that is. We should go ask him. Uh, I'll figure that. Someday. He might be a good best friend. This is a joke only for like two people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, maybe like four. <laughs> Let's move on. That's thank you so much for leaving your reviews, uh, everybody. Just don't forget to do that. And uh, sorry to the kitties. I also want to. I want to request this in our in our oh uh, reviews. Oh. oh. It, come leave us a review uh-huh. and let us know. Do you listen with your pets? A lot of people <laughs> say they listen with their kids. Do you listen with animals? If you listen with monkeys, I'll be like truly even more impressed. Okay. Uh, so I want to know. Leave us a review and let us know. Intern Cat Brego, podcast. podcast intern Cat Brego is in the studio. Right yeah. Now. Yeah. Okay. He's not doing anything. He hasn't helped <laughs> out with levels on any episode ever. We're lucky he is less interested in the soundboard than some cats would be. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is we very, can have very true. Real problems this on would, our hands. This would be some very difficult episodes. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to follow and subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast, especially on Spotify, especially on Apple Podcasts. Um, if we're not in a podcast app that you want us to be in, please let us know. We'll try to get ourselves in there. Ashley, where can they follow the podcast on social media? You can find us at geekhistorylesson.com, at facebook.com slash geekhistorylesson, on Twitter at GHL Podcast, and on Instagram at geekhistorylesson. You can follow Ashley at Ashley V. Robinson on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Josh. Job on. That's J-A-W-I-I-N. And I'm over at TikTok at Jason Inman Writer. And don't forget about our Patreon where you can support this podcast uh, and get some really cool exclusive stuff like the Jason and Jeremy John about Justice League podcast twice a month. That is at patreon.com slash John. We're also starting up a movie club over there. Ooh. And this year is Superman year. So if you're part of our mail level over there, um, you're going to get Superman prints all year. Love. What? Superman Prince. Superman year. So it's going to be Superman year. And now it's time for Stick Around. That's right. Hashtag Stick Around, where we made sure you stuck through all the plugs. And we're going to have one last final conversation about Batman, James Batman. So I, I kind of have two. I have two questions. I have like a Nope, jo- you only get one. I have a joke question. I have a serious question. Okay. Serious question. I know Steve Englehart is like your favorite writer of the bronze age i think so well denny o'neill is probably like uh, denny o'neill is the best batman writer of all Look, time it it can be your preference doesn't have to be the one that everyone agrees is, is the objective mm. best uh i think we prove that on this podcast repeatedly are there any artists who stick out for you as being like um ones that you think really define i have a list or i can give my suggestions first if you need to think give about me a list for a second okay uh Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, Marshall Rogers, Dick Giordano, Walt Simonson, Neil Adams, Jim Aparo. Oh, Dick Giordano is pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's number one. Uh, it's why I really like Marshall Rogers, mm-hmm. and I think it's because he gives long ears, and the the cape is almost always the Batman symbol mm-hmm. as much as Paul. Like he gives me the drama I want in the costume. But we also have to give a mad shout out to Jim Aparo because Jim Aparo is basically going to draw Batman for the next fifteen years. J- Jim Aparo drew issues of Nightfall in yeah. the nineties. Yeah, he draws Batman and the Outsiders. Yep. He draws the Brave and the Bold. No, Jim Aparo he draws the best. What I is call, iconic. He draws what I call the best tired Batman. Yes, I know exactly what you mean. I think he also drew Death in the Fan. Jim Aparo. I could be wrong on that. Let's see. But Jim Aparo is like not going anywhere from the Batman universe anytime soon. 
Um, I, I didn't realize he started this early. That's so interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know how old he is. I'm sorry. I don't know the answer to that. Um, but yeah, he's definitely, I'm trying to look at trying to see if he drew Ard, death, death Pencilers now. Jim Aparo. Yeah. Yep, yep. He drew the death of Jason Todd. Yep. Wow. Yeah, um, I was pretty certain he drew that. So I'm glad I was right. Good call. Okay. Joke question. Do you want to see the Whirly Bat come back into comic yes! book continuity? Yes. Do you think there's a way you could do it as like a stealth? That like, could you make it? Quote unquote cool and contemporary. Okay, here's what you do. Okay. All right, ready? This is especially for our gentleman who left the review in his kits. Okay. Um, do you know the movie The Naked Gun? Yes. Okay. I believe this is might be in The Naked Gun 2. Okay. I could be wrong about this. I think it's in The Naked Gun 2. Um, there is, uh, and kids, if you haven't watched Naked Gun 2, uh, uh, yell at your dad, scream at your dad, pull your dad's ear until he lets you watch Naked Gun 2. You should watch it. Anyways, uh, there's a couple scenes you might have to fast forward, but other than that, you should watch it. So there's a scene in Naked Gun 2, I believe, where um, an a-, a character, uh, who I'm not going to name the actor because he's a problematic yep, gentleman, yep, yep, yep. he starts putting together a gun. Oh, yes. And then for like 10, 10 to 5, 5 to 10 minutes, he keeps putting together this, the gun gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and then Frank Drebin, played by the amazing Leslie Nielsen so at one funny. point, the wall busts through, <laughs> and he turns around, and and the, his partner has basically made an artillery gun. It's the size of the roof. Mm-hmm. So, that's what I want for Batman. I want a scene with Batman, where like he's in the middle of a battle, and he keeps putting all these small pieces out of his belt, and over, the, over the, and then suddenly we see a wheel, then we see an engine, then we see helicopter place and then there's the whirly bat it's all in the pieces in the small capsules Ooh, and that's i like that yeah. i mean the capsules i think just became a shorthand I know. for the artist i just love that everything of his utility belt is in these tiny little capsules i'm like that one is cyanide and that one is cinnamon yeah. Look, and let's that be honest one is- even the pouch utility belt there's no way he could carry everything he has that belt would be 500 pounds i loved it when like five or six years ago they sold the batman utility belt and it was gigantic it's huge it's giant like you'd you'd have to be like a thick strong dude to wear that it's so impractical yeah i love it (laughs) the utility belt doesn't work at all yeah but i love it and it breaks up the costume in a nice way too totally uh that's you want to see the whirly bat come back i would love to see the whirly bat come back my pitch for bringing it back would be like Embrace the silliness. Embrace the silliness. And give it to like a Robin or a Batgirl. Ooh. Yeah, I think that could be bird. fun. Yeah, I would like to see it. You know what? They should just give it to Nightwing. Give it to Nightwing. I think Nightwing had a helicopter. No, he had a... Um, I'm sure he... They've all had gliders. He and, had a glider when yeah. Peter Tomasi wrote him, but they should give it to Nightwing. He should He should get the Whirly Bird. There you go. Or like a version of... Like you can make the design slicker. The Whirly Wing? The Whirly Wing. <laughs> For Nightwing? Just call it the Wing. Nah, it needs to be the whirly wing. It was because it had a helicopter blade on the top. The whirly wing. Yeah. Anyways, uh, kids, if you haven't watched Naked Gun 2, please do that immediately. <laughs> if you watch Naked Gun 2 because Jason told you to, please let us know. Hashtag Naked Bat- Gun. Batman James Batman. Bat Naked Gun. <laughs> I actually think I might make, uh, if I remember, I'll make that shirt. Okay. I'll put it in the clerk's text or whatever. I'll put it up on our shirt. And we'll do uh, <laughs> Batman James Batman. Okay. It'll be a joke just for us. Just for the people who listen to this podcast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Great. Yep. Is that it? That's it. Cool. Why don't you close out the podcast, Ashley? 
Okay. <laughs> well, no, you don't want to. We can keep talking. <laughs> I'm Ashley. Gen- generally, the person that hosts the show like takes charge, and a lot. And a lot of times, this episode. And this is why I think Hugo Strange replaced you. You've been throwing it to me, be like, "Hey, Jason, why don't you tell us the ten cent origin of my lesson?" And I'm like, "I don't have no, the outline." No, I was just waiting for you to do the thing where we make the Little Mermaid reference, which after five years and a lifetime of you hating the Little Mermaid, you finally started to do what reference? I don't know what you're talking the about. The who's it's and what's it? That's from the Little Mermaid. Mermaid. Oh, okay. <laughs> Which is why I said that. And you have finally, you started saying it a couple years ago. It's like my point of pride. That I, so where, when do I say who's it's and what's it? When we introduce the Tencent origin. Oh, <laughs> what does it have to do with the outro of the episode? No. <laughs> Nothing. That was an hour ago, Ashley. That was an hour plus. <laughs> okay. I'm Ashley Victoria Robinson. <laughs> and I'm Jason. You're not getting a middle name in. Then. <laughs> <laughs> and now you say Ashley. Ashley, <laughs> thanks for listening, everybody. We should make sure to say that. Please watch me again, too. And, uh, and Ashley, will and you now please close out the episode? Class is now dismissed. I'm Batman, James Batman.